Live from Crestview Studios, Florida, it's the Dave and Duke Collin Show. And now here's your co-host, Speak Free Radio owner David Gahari and the incomparable Dr. David Duke. Limber up your dialing fingers. Hello folks, this is Dave Gahari and you are listening to the Dave and Duke Call-In Show on speakfreeradio.com and hopefully I'm coming through loud and clear because you never know, right? You never know with this stuff, but it seems like seems like we are. I hear myself yapping, uh, so that's good. All right, so it is... Let's see. It's 6.02. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's 6.02 p.m. Central Time on, here we go again, February 18th. What is going on? Where is the time going? I don't get it. It just goes and goes and goes and never returns, it seems. Yes. So, to the regulars, hello. Glad to have you here and looking forward to another great show. And the last week's was terrific. Um, let's just see for the heck of it. Because if you go to speakfreeradio.com, which I'm sure most of you are listening to from, uh, then you will see uh, the play button on top. And you can adjust the volume there by dragging that thing, that slider to the right. Uh, then you can see in the podcasts tab, if you click on the Dave and Duke call and show icon, this it looks like this is show 70. So this is the 70th show, it looks like. I know we had one show that uh, didn't record for some reason. You know, it was just one of those things. So maybe this is 71. Whatever the case may be, uh, this is uh, our second year of doing this show with Dr. David Duke and on speakfreeradio.com, which launched on April Fool's Day, 2022. So this April, we're going to be two years old. We're bringing some new hosts aboard uh, So in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned. And you're going to, I think you're really going to like them. Hard-hitting hosts. Um, very hard-hitting. So uh, they will be... Uh, in their slots, like I said, the next few weeks. And uh, one of them uh, is uh, Zach, uh, Logos Revealed. And he's going to start off one day a week. And then we've got Ryan Masano, uh, who is the fellow you see in the videos in front of the uh, Sacramento City Council uh, telling them who the bad guy is. He's going to be coming on three nights a week. So uh, another one is uh, we're working on is uh, the Big Floppa, which should be a very uh, energetic show. So uh, some great hosts coming aboard. And of course, we'll fill you in more as the time progresses. Thank you, Nick. Um, okay, so the show, the Dave and Duke call-in show. Anybody in the world can call up and ask the great Dr. David Duke a question or make a comment. And he has t two minutes. And again, it has to do with, it's all based upon 
how busy we are, right? So sometimes we're really busy. Sometimes we're not as busy. So, and you've heard me, the people who've heard this show before, you know, uh, pushing Dave along the way that I do. And, okay, Dave, we got to go. We got more, you know, and so on. So if there are not, you know, uh, if there is not a full room, then there's leeway. And so, uh, you know, I don't like to cut Dave off. And, you know, when he's in the middle of a very important point or topic. Uh, so, but I have to. So, uh, so when those, when that two minutes is almost up, you're going to hear this. And then when it's at two minutes, you'll hear it again. Of course, we did away with this because it was a little too jarring for Dave. So we went to the NBC chime. So, I mean, I could get other, uh, you know, other sounds, but whatever. Okay, so the ongoing challenge for this show is this. If any of the listeners can let us know of a more significant existential threat to humanity and free speech other than organized international jury, uh, let us know and we'll quit the show. And alongside that, if you can let us know of someone who can deliver that message of this threat better than David Duke, you let us know and we'll quit. Of course, we know that that's never going to happen and we're going to be doing the show for the rest of our lives. However long that is. Um, yes, so a couple of people have died. Yes, Nick, sadly. If you go to the homepage of Speak Free Radio, you'll see um, two RIPs. Hopefully that's all we're going to be putting up this year um, for the good guys. These are the good guys. Uh, Joseph Edward Rizzoli, September 9, 1952 till January 30, 2024. And RIP John Kaminsky, November 20, 1944, till February 5, 2024. So today is uh, the 18th, so uh, less a little less than two weeks ago, uh, John passed and, and uh, Joe... Uh, passed last month on a significant day, um, you know, the day that uh, Adolf Hitler took the reins of power as the chance he was appointed chancellor in 1933. So two guys who uh, have been on this network and two guys that will be missed uh, by a lot of folks, including myself. So Yes, that's right. Um, Dave's not here yet, uh, but let's just see where he is. Okay. All right, let's see. And I talked to Dave earlier today. He called me and he was excited about something. You know, a topic. And maybe he'll talk about it. Talk about that topic 
he thinks he came up with a way to um of course the whole the whole point of all of this is to uh you know come up with a way to explain the threat of this particular organism of this disease of this alien um whatever you might want to call it in better terms better ways because and he's always thinking about that so if you could do that better then we can uh you know get the job done faster so um well joe joe rizzoli passed on but jim has not and they were twins yes um dave just messaged me so he'll be here in a little bit so yes if you can figure out a better way to wake up more people then that's a good thing so and dave i think is always thinking about that because you know you could come up with a way to think about something one day that you know you wished you would have done it a lot earlier and i i do that all the time i'll say something or think about something i'll say wow why didn't i think about that before thinking that we know pretty much most everything we need to know about this this infection and that if only we i've heard this so many times if I, you know i i know it now if, if only we just explain it to to folks then you know it's going to get fixed you know it's going to be cured the infection will be cured uh but it doesn't happen that way unfortunately so <clears throat> dave is always thinking and rightfully so how to do that and i'm not gonna you know spoil what it is he came up with i'll let him explain it and yes the hoax busters that's right nick that that was the that's that's the show that's still on speak for your radio that joe was on as well and i went on their show when they were doing a uh, a memorial for him uh, i was on there for a little bit talking about when i met him so great guy it's sad to see that and i had just spoke to him uh not too long before he passed uh so I told him, because he, he wasn't doing the shows, I told him, get on there. And he did, and he looked great, and he sounded great, and then it really just happened, you know, way too fast. Um, but that's the way it is, right? Sometimes. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, and that's why it's important to do what you want to do before that day arrives, and for most of us, we don't know when that day is going to arrive. So if there's some things that, you know, you have wanted to do, then do them. Right? That's called a bucket list, I guess. So 
I would just say that do it. Figure it out, what you want to do, what you've always wanted to do, and do it. Because we don't know. All right? Let's see here. I'm going to check to see if Dave is in the studio. And then we'll get to work. Okay. Let's see if he's there. Yes, he's there. All right, Dave. How are you, my friend? It's always great to see you and hear you. Let me, let me, uh, can you hear me? Yes, perfect. Okay, let me uh, also do my earphones so we don't get any feedback. Okay. My microphone's pretty strong. Sorry, I was a little late today. I was uh, working on some plumbing. Yes, I do my own plumbing, folks. I'm just a poor working man. Okay. Yeah, do you change your batteries and your smoke detectors? Uh, no, I haven't been changing my batteries. Okay, you need to do that. Dave. I know there's still. I've been getting a lot of emails and calls be, and letters. Still yeah, beeping. yes, my microphone. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, let me change the speaker too. So. Yeah. Settings. Okay. There we go. Let's see. Yeah. Okay, I'm here. Okay, buddy. So you didn't hear my monologue before. The end of it. Okay. So I, I explained that. A little that we, while, actually. Yeah. Okay. Oh, geez, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I was looking at it. I didn't see you. Um, I explained that we, we talked a little bit earlier today, and you you had uh, told me about an idea that you came up with, and I, I explained that you're always thinking of a better way to explain uh, the threat we face. And so uh, why don't you, before we get to the calls, tell the listeners about this idea that you have that you think would be effective in explaining the problem that we all face, the existential problem we all face. Well, I've always talked about uh, the idea of uh, psychological jujitsu and the principle in jujitsu and karate too, in many ways, is to use the opponent's power and strength and weight against them. You just by certain uh, using a little bit of a, a lever system, same principle as a pulley works on, right? Or some sort of a, of a lever. Like the, like, uh, it was said by the Greeks, you know, give me a lever long enough and I can move the world. And it's, uh, it's that way. Now, now Jews have been very conscious to attack Europeans as being racist. They've been very conscious about accusing white people of being white supremacists. They've been very conscious about attacking Germans. Uh, who were German nationalists, I think they were essential nationalists, who were defending their heritage against Jewish power, uh, calling them Nazis and presenting an image in the media, in their controlled media, in their movies at the time, in their newspapers they controlled, every way they could possibly influence society whenever they got into high position of government or philosophy or education or whatever, 
they created what they call this image of people, this narrative, uh, an archetype is maybe one of the best ways to put it if we're going to be academic about it. The same way they create kind of an archetype of me or someone like yourself. So I'm created as this vicious, hateful racist that wants to exploit others, uh, is paranoid, uh, who thinks he's being persecuted, but really he's living in this great free society. Um, I'm created as a person who hates other people, wants to exploit them, harm them, hurt them, I want, enslave them even, um, that I'm a warmonger. Uh, if, I, if I'm presented or, or say, a conservative or a right-winger or somebody against immigration is presented as uh, a Nazi, in fact, that's what they do, that's their favorite label, Nazi is the ultimate evil, what they're portraying is someone who's trying to genocide other races, destroy other races, rule the world, oppress people, enslave people, harm people. And they also show them as hypocrites. I mean, that's one of the ways that you uh, hurt a person or you make a person look bad in a movie if you're writing a fictional movie. And movies are basically, basically fiction, even if they're presented as nonfiction or a true historical event because almost all the conversations are created by the Jewish scriptwriters. The same way in the movie Black KKK Klansman, they created every conversation I was having with the black police officer supposedly infiltrating the Klan, even though the movie doesn't have him actually infiltrating the Klan. A white guy is the guy. But he was the guy I was talking to on the phone. He really didn't infiltrate the Klan. And we didn't have any secrecy in the sense of we were, you know, going out and doing any violence. In fact, after two years of uh, infiltrating the Klan in these in the police department in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is the movie's about, it had no violence. No Klansman was ever charged with anything. There were no bombs. There were no cross lightings illegally or anything like that. Nothing happened. Uh, in the movie, though, the Klan has a plot to kill a black civil rights worker woman. And, uh, and all, and all the conversations are ridiculous and hateful. And yet these are supposed to be people that work in NORAD, the North, uh, the, the defense organization for the United States military and Air Force and so forth that will protect us from inter international and intercontinental ballistic missiles, supposedly that might have been fired from Russia against us. So these were very important professional people who had big security clearances. Uh, but they were members of my clan organization in uh, Colorado Springs, and they were intelligent people, worked in the military. They literally ran the uh, intercontinental ballistic missile silos, and they were all involved in that work. And they had, you know, perfect records. They had no criminal records. Uh, they had no, you know, terrible aspects in their society, in their history. But they were members of the Klan at that time. The Klan was considered more of an organization, traditional American organization. And, uh, in fact, there are many senators and congressmen who were Klansmen before that. Harry Truman, former president of the United States, was a Klansman. Uh, Woodrow Wilson uh, praised the Klan. Many, many other presidents. Uh, many, many other people of North and South were elected. But um, they portrayed... Uh, me and they portrayed our organization like a terrorist organization that was trying to terrorize and blow up and kill 
a, a black woman. It showed the clan, the Klansmen, of course, as cowards. They send a, a very obese white woman to go and blow up the black civil rights worker, I guess, because the guys didn't have any courage enough to do it or whatever. But the truth is we didn't engage in any violence whatsoever, and we don't. In fact, I inserted in the Klan my, uh, uh, an oath that we would not commit violence because that's how much we needed to restrict that because uh, the media wants to portray us that way. And if someone on our side who's trying to change things politically, which we're trying to do, and I can't believe and I don't believe that we're going to change the world at this point by doing violence. The government has too many ways they can spy on you, even if you want to do violence. Plus, I don't think that violence is a moral way to do things, just go kill individual people because you have the wrong opinion. I don't think that's the right thing to do or to kill innocent people. I don't think that's morally right. And most white people absolutely agree with what I've just said there, that it's not morally right. So it's obvious that if we want to change people's minds, not only is is it not right to do this, but we certainly don't want an organization doing that because that gives them the excuse to say, look, these are terrible people, which we would be if we are killing innocent people in mass. And uh, and the truth is the people killing innocent people in the world, and then we're going to talk about that in one moment. But anyway, they create an archetype of what they say Klansman is. So they take they, they create an archetype of what they say a Nazi is. And then they, by their own definition of a Nazi, a Nazi, the, what, what they portrayed as Nazism in the 1930s and 40s and 50s and after the war was not really an expression of the average values of the German people and the German people under National Socialism. It wasn't even the values of the leading National Socialists. Uh, for instance, I guess give an example, and whether you like Hitler or you don't like Hitler, or you you might disagree with some of his his ideas of government or whether the fascist government was a democratic government or representing the ideas of the people or against the people or was violating the values of democracy, meaning the idea that we have a government that's in line with the will of the people, that the government supports the people. The truth is the vast majority of white people in America and Europe don't want massive immigration, oppose it. But for some reason, over the last 40 years, we've had two things going on. One is the government of the United States under the Jewish influence and the power and their, their money. They have uh, absolutely allowed people to cross into our country illegally without getting them checked out, without finding if they got drugs or not, not stopping the leak at the border. And we have massive illegal immigration. Yet we still don't have that. But they would present people like, say myself, or even Donald Trump, Trump, even though I've got a lot of problems with Donald Trump, but at the same time, he promised to control the border. But they produce people like that as against democracy. When we have a tiny number of people controlling the money of, of politics and we have a corrupt, vile, anti-democratic, meaning against the will of the people and a corrupt system that has unfair elections, that doesn't have true freedom of speech, and you can't have a fair election when you have a media that's totally biased, or even the talk shows and the entertainment media is just berating your side and your people and displaying there with these comedy skits, which are all fictional as well, in a way that makes them look stupid and dumb and hateful. So they create this narrative of what they want, and I guarantee you, 
they created a narrative before the Second World War with the Germans were because Jews all over the world wanted to destroy Germany. They wanted to destroy the National Socialism because they felt it was their enemy because the National Socialists, and I don't think they were trying to kill all the Jews. I really don't think they, they were. And I know one thing is that they would have never publicly stated to the German people or any the people for even one moment that they thought it was great to kill Jewish children or kill Jews. In fact, which kind of shows you the difference between National Socialism and what the Nazism is. And yes, what I'm, this is where we're getting to the point here. The truth is that the Jewish domination of this world, the Jewish supremacy that exists in Israel, the Jewish supremacy that exists over our foreign policy, the Jewish supremacy that exists over America is absolutely a Nazi ideology, but it's not what was National Socialism in Germany. It was the worst presentation of what they gave as National Socialism in Germany, the most evil way they could depict National Socialism, that National Socialists were trying to murder everybody, that they were trying to conquer the world, that they were warmongers. All they wanted to do was have war after war after war. Yet the the first small little war was a a battle with Poland over the right of self-determination, again, democracy, for the Germans who were divorced from their own country against their will and put into another country that hated them. And they lost their lands. They lost their cities. They were divorced from their own nation illegally and improperly. And a war got started. But it didn't become a world war until the French and the British declared war. Now, the peacemaker in this case was Germany. Because Germany immediately called on the British and said, look, we don't want war. All we want to do is go back to our original borders, which were taken unjustly by the Versailles Treaty and the corrupt powers of the Western world under the influence of you-know-who in America and around the world. All we want is that. We will return all the other areas where we're in right now, uh, we, let's end this war through diplomacy. Let's not have a world war. Let's not involve, involve, envelop all of Europe into another war like the First World War, which killed 37 million Europeans. Would any war over this small bit of territory where, Jew, where Jews, well, you might say they're not Jews, but other people have, Jews have been behind it. They wanted to do this because they wanted to provoke war. And they wanted to use this as a world war, a massive war to destroy Germany, just like they're trying to provoke a massive war and destruction and overthrow of Russia, which is not communist, by by the way, anymore. So when you think about that fact, Germany in so many ways wasn't. And I can give you one example, a very clear example of that, which you've talked about in some of the books you've published and are in many of the books you published and what I've published and I brought this out for years, that there is a famous book that was written in the United States by this Jew by the name of Theodore Kaufman. And it was a Jew who hated Germany and wanted a world war. 
and was doing everything he could to promote a world war as well as major Jewish organizations. And they had power and strength. Yes, they were powerful. In fact, they were so powerful in the big, in the middle of the first world war, the British government made a deal with the Rothschilds. Yeah, the Rothschilds, one of the biggest banking houses in the world and with American Jewry, with, uh, with the Jews that ran a lot of American finance. Uh, for instance, Jacob Schiff for the Kuhn Lick Company, one of the richest men in America, also one of the biggest financiers of communism. You know, also Bernard Baruch, who was one of the chief financiers of, of, and supporters of Roosevelt. And these Jews really controlled, at that time, during the First World War, they controlled Wilson. And they had Wilson by the shirt and curlies because Wilson apparently had an affair, or at least a, a letter affair or whatever, with a Another uh, professor at his university, I think Princeton University, his wife. And this would have destroyed Wilson. In those days, we destroyed him right dead. With these Jews, I mean, he had no political career. He would have been disgraced and run out of office. No chance of having any political influence. And they were about ready to reveal to the country that all the love letters, because they had control over the woman who is having the affair with her, at least the love letter affair. I don't know whether he physically ever did anything with the woman, but he was writing very hot and steamy letters between uh, he and her. Well, her, his, um, his, what do you call her? Uh, Amor uh, had a son who was a, who was in the banking system in, in, uh, in Virginia, and he was being charged with bank fraud, stealing from the bank, and is ready to go to jail, or they were going to put him in jail. And the Jews took over his case and found this out, right? And they they go to Wilson and they say, look, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll, we'll take care of this problem for you. They need $40,000, which is way more money than, that's a long lot of money at that time, way more money than Wilson had at the time. This is a historical fact, folks. It's all been proven and written about in many books. All right. And so they basically tell uh, Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, okay, listen, okay, you help us on a few things that we want, you know, and we'll take care of this woman, and these letters will never come out. And you won't be ruined. Your whole life won't be ruined. Your whole reputation in life will not be ruined. In fact, she could even sue uh, Wilson for a disaffection of... Uh, Promises and this type of thing used to have a, even law that what is that law called, uh, Dave? You remember that law? It's called uh, violation of affections or something like that. There was yeah, actually, I, I don't, Dave. Well, anyway, there was, was actually a law that if you promise a woman to marry her and all these things, and then you break the promise, you could actually be sued. But anyway, uh, and any, but it would have been a huge scandal. And so Wilson went from campaigning against getting in the First World War and promising he wouldn't get in the First World War, very similar, by the way, to Roosevelt, to, guess what, getting us into the First World War. And they bribed many politicians, and they affected them. And all this came because the British were, were really thinking they're going to lose the war, and this is the middle of the First World War, because the Germans had beaten the Russians, and they had half of their army on the Eastern Front, same way like in the Second World War, it became that. And they had half of their army on the Western Front. 
as soon as the the Russians surrendered, which is, by the way, what the Jews wanted, and that's why the Jews did not support the war, because they knew if the Tsar lost the war, it would be a disgrace to the Russians, who had an old German enemy, right? And so they they absolutely were more prone to overthrow the Tsar, and, and Jewish communism would take over. It's a long short, long short of it. But anyway, so... So he brought us into the war. Now, there was no need for us to be in the war. We shouldn't have been in the war. This was not a war for democracy. Germany had an elected parliament. Uh, the Axis countries had often elected parliaments. You know, it was, it was not a war for democracy. It was, it was a war of entangling alliances, and many major British historians later wrote about this. So... Most historians after the First World War said, my God, we can never have a war like this again. What's worth 37 million? What cause is worth 37 million? Because we don't like their politics, because some prince gets assassinated and one country has an alliance with another and because another country did something against another country. We're going to have a world war and have 37 million on both sides killed. We're going to kill our own sons and and uh, families and also civilian deaths, and we're going to starve people, and we're going to destroy economies, and we're going to do all this horrific thing that damaged 37 million people in a, in a world war. And we got to avoid this. And that's one reason why the French, by the way, after Germany won the war, the French were saying this war has got to end. They signed a peace treaty with Germany. And, and by the way, another sign that the Germans weren't, weren't how we uh, expressed them. A perfect example is when Germany can, you know, conquered an old enemy from the First World War and all, France. And they, they wanted peace and they wanted to get along. They didn't do like what happened to Germany by the Allies. They didn't go and arrest everybody. They didn't try all the German, you know, the, uh, uh, they didn't try all the French for war crimes, but even if there might have been some, they tried to make peace. They released the, the, uh, the prisoners of war immediately from, from the camps. Um, they did everything they could, and they allowed free elections in France. Now, the part of France where they were looking for allied invasion from uh, England and, uh, and, of course, Great Britain, they obviously had trying to control over those areas, but the entirety of France, the French basically controlled, they basically ran the place, and the man that they allowed to become the head of France, which is what the French wanted, this is what French desired, was Marshal Pétain. And Pétain... Dave, you got to get to the calls, buddy. Uh, I know, but this is an interesting story. If people are enjoying it, I hope. Marshal no, they, they are, but we got, but we got a, we're, we're lined uh, up. Where we're going to do. So let's come back to it. I'm almost finished. Okay. I'm almost finished. Marshal Pétain was, uh, the hero of the First World War. He was dedicated to France. He did everything for France and France voted in their elected parliament, which was a fair election. And the French ran it, not the Nazis in a fair election. They voted to make peace with Germany and join with Germany against the Soviets, which they saw the real enemy of humanity. Now that's a very different position than what the Allies were going to do. And also we had something called unconditional surrender, which obviously cost millions of lives. Almost every other war was decided in settlement, like the First World War was. 
They didn't, the Allies didn't conquer Germany, but they settled and that saved millions of lives on both sides. But there was no unconditional surrender because Germany was an enemy of the Jews. Well, Wilson got us into that First World War and cost 167,000 lives, and they got us into the Second World War, and they've got us in every war ever since. But the presentation of Germany was that they're warmongers. But Germany didn't do a war against Austria. They didn't do a war against anybody in Sudetenland. 90% of those people were Germans. They, they, there was a conflict with Poland, yes. There wasn't a war in the uh, Alsace-Lorraine. There was one small war that didn't need to be a world war. And when Germany offered peace to go back to the 1914 borders when they were on top, and after the, the Soviets already killed 22,000 Poles, where the Germans didn't kill Polish off, they didn't round them up and murder them like the Soviets did, right? There was no war against the Soviets. So the entirety of what they say national socialism wasn't national socialism, but national socialism of the idea of wanting to kill everybody and murder everybody and conquer the world and destroy everything, destroy Christianity. It was the other side that did that. The Jews are destroying Christianity, not not the National Socialists. They didn't destroy Christianity. Right, Dave, we got to get to the calls. So, so the truth is, the best thing I think we can say is, we got to always put a caveat with this. The truth is, the greatest danger in this world, the truth is, the biggest danger in this world is Nazism. And that is the Nazism as portrayed by Jewish Hollywood and the Jewish control of the media, which is genocidal, destructive of the world, wants to go against peace, which takes away all human rights, right? When the truth is the Germans were trying to preserve the family, preserve Christianity, preserve Western civilization, preserve all peoples, and they weren't trying to take over the world, and they were trying to make peace, and they didn't want to have a world war. Well, the world war was really the first and the original sin of the world we live in today, because the first war and the second world war has led to a world of constant war and a world of American genocidal behavior, which is not American, but it's genocidal behavior by the Jews. And the reason that is, is because the real ultra racists, the ultra supremacists, the people who are driven by hate, the people who are driven by war, and they were now decimating and destroying the Ukrainian young generation there. And they were doing the same thing to the Palestinians and are doing the same thing to Europe, even destroying Europe because of their zeal to destroy Russia. So they're causing a disaster in Europe who are actively trying to destroy the people of America and Canada and every white country by changing our population and replacing us. They are the genociders and they're the ultimate Nazis, but they're not the national socialists who are the Germans. This was their projection of their vital, evil, racial supremacism. Right. The projection. Exactly. It's a projection. And that's what and that's but that's really who we're facing. In yes. the real sense of the term of Nazi, the real Nazis in the world are these Israelis, are these Jews. Yes. Right now, and it's not just the ones in Israel. It's the ones that run our media in America and in Europe. And right. I'll leave with one last quote, and we'll get into this show. Maybe we have a lot to talk about because of what I'm starting the show off with. This is the most powerful, I think, argument we've ever had in all my years of fighting this cause, right? The real Nazis are these Jews. And here's the situation. One way we can prove that. I'll give you an example. All right. 
If you look at white colonialism, and by the way, every nation, every tribe in the history of the world has invaded other tribes, conquered other tribes. And America did have colonialism, and we were very powerful. We had colonialism in a lot of places. The British certainly did in, in India. But in India, they weren't trying to replace the population with Britons. They, they did want the economic advantage of having an empire, but they really helped bring Britain, uh, you know, India up. And in fact, they created a consciousness of Indians together in terms of a nationalism. And, and even Gandhi said India for Indians. Dave, let's get to the Indians roads. later. Though. Look, the, 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 the Jews aren't trying to simply conquer the world. They want to destroy their main opposition. They right. want to control the world. They want to enslave the world. And that's exactly what they're doing. And they are what the media defines and the Jewish media defines as Nazis. And that's the truth. And to me, there's no powerful, more powerful argument because, again, like jujitsu, you lose the force of the enemy. They've created this image of Nazism as the greatest evil in the face of the world. And that's easily explained. Yes. As everything Jews are doing, they are the Nazis as they've defined it. As they define right, exactly. Beautiful, Dave. Is that powerful usual. or what? Powerful. I love it. Okay, a few things before we get to the calls. One, and I know NORAD is one of these weird acronyms that it doesn't match up with how it sounds. Anyway, North American Aerospace Defense Command. Yep. Right. Known until March 1981 as North American Air Defense Command. Right. So it it's now the North American Aerospace Defense Command. Right. right yeah. Okay. And that is um, in Colorado. Their headquarters is uh, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Being Peters. a former military man on submarines, you know these things. Right well, right. you got to. Okay. <laughs> now, the other thing is, is that you asked me if I knew that term and I didn't. Uh, at 10 minutes ago, Elizabeth emailed and said alienation of affection. So that was the term you were looking for, Dave. Alienation of affection. Alienation that was actually affection. like something you could sue over if a, if a woman right. promised by Exactly. And that was part of the old knightly kind of attitude of men toward women. Yes. That if a man promised a woman. Sh- chivalry. And, right. And, and, yeah. and this is like to say a, a woman was in love with a man or she had arrangements to marry a man or their parents kind of arranged it or she arranged it. And, uh, and she wanted to marry someone, then some guy just to try to get to her, you know, sexually and so forth. Right. If he came in and lured her away from her expected spouse, the alienation of affection, which would destroy her life. And when, when he didn't really even want to marry her, but he was acting like he did, that they felt that was a crime against women. That was when, when men were considered to be trying to protect women. Nowadays, they try to tell women that men are trying to hurt women, exploit women. All right, exactly. And you can't tell the difference. But but that's because they wanted to get women. This is like a first question of the show. It's like it's because Jews wanted. It's always divide and conquer. They wanted to divide women, make women angry at men, men angry at women, and and by doing getting women angry at men, I think that's what they did to begin with, right? And and they did lots of things to men that made men really resentful, where men 
didn't have a chance at adopting a child, even if the woman was a drunken and adulterer, right? She couldn't, you know, a man couldn't even adopt a child. And that makes men angry. Of course it does, right? And of course it makes men angry when they see less qualified women, less, less powerful women, less capable women. And that happens a lot in business, get, get advanced simply because they're women. Now, I agree that an intelligent woman and advanced woman should get whatever the promotion she deserves. But, but do I think that all these uh, black women uh, chief of police that we have all over the country, do I think they're the best qualified of the people with their records? No. They're there because of racial discrimination and because of right. sexual discrimination. Exactly. So, so when you get men and women fighting one another, that exacerbates things. And so then you have one group, uh, like one section of Republicans or one section of Democrats, be really into the women's lib thing or the women's rights thing or the abortion thing. And that divides the vote. Whereas the bigger issues that may be very important, like the destruction of our whole people, our whole nation by the takeover of our country by the Jews, that becomes not an important question. When we have people taking over our country who are literally trying to destroy our country, our government in this country is the enemy of our people. And that's becoming obvious to a lot of people. But most people have a problem because of their control of media and because of the fact that they bribe the politicians. They don't dare talk about the fact that this is a Jewish policy because it's a Jewish policy to advance their interest. They can't control and they couldn't take over America until they remove the white people from the elites of the country. Exactly. That, that's why David Brooks in the New York Times has a column in it chosen getting in where he says he talks openly about the Jewish takeover of the American elite. Right. Right. That, that's exactly, and of course they did. And that's what you call the true replacement theory that's really operating. And it's even down to replacing the working people of the country. And every time they put a minority in there against white people, they can again divide them by telling minorities how bad white people are to them, when probably white people are better to the minorities than they've ever been treated by their own people in their own countries. Of course, of course, that's that's well documented. It's an infection, Dave. It's an infection. In simple terms, it's an infection. It's Jewish Nazism the way they portray it. Yes, exactly. Dave. And by the uh, way, I, I yeah. could say one more thing. Yeah. We talked about this for a minute more. Um, notice also in every presentation that they give of Nazis in any movies, they're always sick, vile, hateful, disgusting, cheating, lying deceptive people, which is exactly what these Jews are. They yes. tell us that for their human they're for human rights and everything, well they violate our human rights, where they where they do genocide in Palestine, but the world's waking up to them. Yeah, and they absolutely. realize they're the Nazis. And by the way, it's not just my, me that's saying they're the Nazis. It's many Jews in Israel calling right. Max Blumenthal. I saw a, a recording of his the other day. I could play a tape later today if we get a chance to, but sure. I, Max Blumenthal was talking about, you know, how these are Nazis. Israel's a Nazi state. Yes. Roger Waters, the musician, and I really like his music too, by the way, but Roger Walters, the, the musician. Pink Floyd. Uh, Waters, excuse me. Pink Roger Floyd. Waters. Yeah. Uh, Pink Floyd was the band. Roger White. Anyway, he came out and said, this is a Nazi. That's an, Israel's a Nazi government. And these are Nazis. Yep. 
And the people yep. supporting Israel are Nazis. Dave, the, the, Nazis. the, the, the cat Jewish is out of the Nazis. bag. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, you can't put that oil back in the menorah. It's over. They're right? Nazis. They're Nazis. They're, so if you don't they're like Ashkenazis. Nazis. And I don't blame anybody for not liking Nazis because their whole life, that's all they've seen is a dirty damn Nazis. They're vile, evil creatures at every step, you know? Yes. Uh, I don't mind people doing, you know, feeling that way until they get more educated. But they got to realize the same people lie about the Palestinians, the same people who lie about this Jewish genocide, the same people lie about the war in Ukraine, saying Putin, you know, without any provocation or all that kind of crap. In right. fact, the government of Ukraine is murdering hundreds of thousands. And if we send 65 or 67 billion dollars <laughs> more to Ukraine, all we're going to be doing is killing Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of more Ukrainian. The, 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 and they're also going to be killing the very people the Jews hate, the Nazis. It's not yes. Nazis that control Ukraine. The, the prime minister, the president, is a Jew. It's the Jewish State Department of the United States that orchestrated this war. The Jew Newland, the Jew Blinken, the Jew Biden. Oh, my God, the Jew Biden. Not a Jew, but a Jewish scientist. <laughs> He's too stupid to be a Jew. Dave, let's get to the calls. Okay, let's do it. All right. Um, and by the way, three minutes after... That was a Liz- good start, though. Too. Very good. It's always good, Dave. Three minutes I'm after... we got to do this. Because I, I don't Elizabeth. People, I don't think people yeah. would have missed this. No, no, they like it. They were telling me, let him talk. Stop interrupting him. Um, and I said, that's my job, damn it. Okay, uh, three, three minutes after Elizabeth. Don't tell yeah. the bell rings, folks. That's it. Three minutes after Elizabeth emailed with that alienation of affection, Catherine put it in to the chat. So thank you, Catherine, as well. Okay, let's bring in Jimmy. Jimmy, go ahead, buddy. You got the floor. All right. Hey, guys. How you doing? Um, Dr. Duke, uh, thanks for that, for uh, Germany. And being half German myself, uh, you know, when, whenever somebody says the word Nazi around me, I always say, well, even if it was true about, you know, whatever with them, why don't you say Bolshevik? You know, yeah, why don't you talk about the bigger murder? Yeah. A Bolshevik, 20 to 30 million. Why don't we get that every day? Why don't we talk about the the terrible Bolshevik uh, movement and murder of Ukrainians, 7 to 11 million, mostly, mostly women and children. It's more than the Holocaust. And these were Jewish Holocaust. These were yeah. Jewish mass murderers. Does it sound familiar to what they talk about, even the left, about the passages, you know, uh, of Jewish massacres. All the, most of the Jewish celebrations and holidays are celebrating massacres and killing like the firstborn of, of, uh, of countries, right? And people after people after people, man, woman, child, they even go to the extent of quoting like Netanyahu did, you know, from, uh, Samuel, where they quote the statement, you know, where you kill the men, the women, the children. And don't forget, man, just so you got to know this, so you don't leave out the little babies suckling at their baby, at their mother's breasts. Don't forget to murder the suckling as well. And don't forget to throw in all the poor innocent animals and pets that you got to murder. Yeah, the Jewish way to wage war, kill every man, woman, children, you know and their suckling and, and livestock. You and it erased the memory the of them. The Jewish way to wage war? You know, it was, it was uh, uh, Dylan, you know, the, the singer, his personal rabbi, when he was brought back to, to Zionism and Judaism, 
And he did a whole talk, and it was it was in a moment magazine. It was quoted. What was his name? I'm trying to think of his name. But anyway, um, he said, you know, we believe in waging war the old-fashioned Jewish way. Kill them all! Yeah. Every man, woman, child, baby, animal. And, uh, and that is the Jewish way to wage war. And that's yeah. exactly why wars under incre- increasing Jewish influence in the 20th century. See, from, from, the, from the Middle Ages, from really the 12th, 13th century, even before then, there was almost a climate of uh, kind of chivalry between armies that you treat the captured army, you, you know, fairly. You don't torture them. You don't put them on the rack to get information, right? You don't kill civilian populations. You sure don't rape them. In fact, in the American army against the British, in the British army against Americans, if one of our soldiers or one of their soldiers would have raped a, a just an innocent woman of an American woman or American would have raped a Tory woman, that would have been punishable, and and the American military did do that. They they absolutely gave executions to any American soldier that raped a woman, even if they're part of the enemy that they hated. But these kind of values, as we as we kind of grow up and we realize, you know, justice and and right ideas, we and they were that's what led to the Geneva Conventions. And there would have been more slaughter without the Geneva Conventions and things like that. We'd have probably had anthrax where Europe would probably not uninhabitable. Winston Churchill, by the way, one of the, the just and great allies, wanted to use anthrax across Germany. Anthrax would have killed everybody. And it's a disease, a terrible, m- murderous fatality that would could hang around for decades. Dave, Dave, Dave we got an answer from Patrick. Yeah. Man, Rabbi Manus Friedman. Manus Friedman, that's right. And here's what here's oh, what I this piece of right Yeah, here's what this piece of shit said. I don't believe in Western morality, i.e. don't kill civilians or children, don't destroy their holy sites. The only way to fight a moral war is the Jewish way. Destroy their holy sites. Kill men, women and children and cattle. With their holy sites destroyed, they will stop believing that God is on their side. They destroyed hundreds and hundreds of Christian churches and Muslim mosques, their places of worship. And in, our God. In, in Palestine. The Son of God. They killed. Jimmy, thanks, buddy. Well, we'll get you back in. Right. Okay, yeah, I posted that you're about right. Tucker's uh, thing there. Yes. It was really good. A lot of beans were spilled right there by a Jew named Benz on Tucker's show. Oh, Put shit, another Jew. Days. Thanks, Jimmy. All right, All right buddy. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's... Which one you're talking about? That link there, it says uh, the Gateway Pundit. You see that? The Gateway Pundit? No, I didn't see that yet. I haven't seen that, just tell me. Uh, Okay, it's it's in the private chat. You know, you can see where people post stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. There. Well, don't worry about that. Just tell me what it is. So that I don't know. I didn't open it. A lot of the people are not seeing the post when they're listening. Yeah, it says the Gateway Pundit, uh, Tucker Carlson, episode 75. I guess you can go to Tucker Carlson's X page or his website, TuckerCarlson.com, uh, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Yes, there it is. Here, here's another one. Yes, thank you, Patrick. Um, and thank you for that. Thank you for that good uh, quote by Manus Friedman. I also got to have a speech by Manus Friedman 
that he gave at this World of Abad uh, meeting. I think it was in South Africa. And I heard this speech a few years ago. I watched it, uh, every word of it. And he was talking about Moses going to the top of Mount Sinai. And this is what they say in the town, but this is how they interpret all that. And where Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai, and Moses gets up there, and God says to Moses, he, he says, Moses, he says, um, listen, uh, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm going to destroy all the Jewish people. And uh, because look at them, what they're doing. They're fornicating. <laughs> they're uh, worshiping other gods. Uh, they're doing pedophilia. They're, you know, they're killing and murdering. They're cheating. You know, I save them. And this is what they do, you know, and I want to kill them all. Start all over. Well, Moses begins to argue. He's talking about this. Moses begins to argue with God. And uh, here's God, the omniscient God, you know, he's supposed to follow God. So God says, I've decided I'm going to kill you all. But Moses argues with him. And ultimately, God caves in to, to, to Moses, right? And he, and, he, and he doesn't kill all the Jewish people. But interestingly, when you, when you look at this issue, of course, it doesn't really make any sense, God changing his mind. But, but the real point of all this stuff is that these these what what Manus Friedman was saying, if if you if if the wife if the Jewish wife gets mad at her husband because he's doing something wrong on the Sabbath or he's eating not kosher food, don't worry about it. The only thing you got to worry about is the fact that he's a Jew and you're a Jew and you've got a Jewish family, you know. And as long as you're standing with your people, all right, your people, not following the word of God or anything, your people. You're okay, because that's what God wants. God God wants you. In fact, in fact, what Jews really believe in today is actually that they're God. That, yeah. That's, again, the ultimate supremacism, isn't it? That's Dave, Dave we're going to take a top-of-the-hour break. Okay, we'll do it. All right, hold on a second, buddy. Okay, folks, you are listening to the Dave and Duke Call-In Show on SpeakFreeRadio.com. And it is 1900 hours Central Time. And we're going to get back to the show. We got another hour of fascinating discussion. And let's bring in our good friend from, I'm guessing here. I'm guessing that this guy is, who's rooting for Putin is our good friend Richard from the United Kingdom. You're getting good at this, Kahari. I Very well good. done. Yes, thank you. Thank <laughs> well, you. I mean, um, no worries, no worries. Like, uh, I, I wanted to ask the doctor a, a question regarding a statement by Dmitry Mevdev. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I don't even know what capacity he has within the government of Russia at the time. But he said that he was going to, if Russia was forced to go back to its 1991 borders, uh, it was he was going to uh, unleash all of Russia's arsenal upon London. Uh, this was something which I came across you know, a few hours ago. Um, and it does raise the prospect you were talking about NORAD or NURAD. I, I, I hadn't come across that before. Um, but uh, I just wanted to ask, you know, given the fact that we are teetering towards the edge of a potential nuclear uh, collision, I think the last time was 1983 with uh, Stanislav Petrov, I think, um, but, uh, you know, what is the likelihood of, of, uh, of a nuclear war from this? And is that more important than the IOJ, International Organized World Jury? 
Um, so that's my question there. Um, okay, and, it's a uh, good subject to too. It's important. Subject. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. I was having a discussion with a very good friend of mine um, who, who has a little bit different opinion than I do. We had a good discussion, and we were talking about that. And uh, he's, good. he's a great guy, too. He's one of my closest friends and supporters for so many years. He, held, he organized my campaign many years ago when I was running for the, for the House of Representatives in 1999. And um, we were talking about this. And, and so some people think that Putin is in a plot, that uh, Putin is working with the West. Uh, and this is what the Jews want. They want this war in Europe. Uh, to a final destruction of Europe, and they think they're going to come out of this war, and they'll and some Jews or some Jews have been very radical, saying that this, they're going to end up ruling the world. The, the heifers are going to be coming back to Jerusalem, and the, the temple will be rebuilt. And of course, the, the New Testament writes about this, and that the Antichrist will come back. But um, but I'm more of the opinion, and and uh, and he's got a legitimate opinion, but I'm far more. My opinion is that. Um, Putin understands Jewish power. And the way I explained it to my friend was because I, he remembered my races early on. And when I was running for office, I always say this, that if you think Jews are very powerful, just wait, just, just give it a hold until they really, really, you know, are afraid that this is the end, that they're going to be destroyed or defeated, right? Then they become desperate, and that's when you see their real power. And um, I I saw that in my race. Um, I, I was kind of like all the other politicians, but they knew what my position was on Jewish power. In fact, even during my campaigns, I tried to downplay it a little bit because I didn't want to alienate all the uh, – the evangelicals and these other people that you all need those for votes. But I did say, they asked me, what about, you know, they, they accused me of being anti-Semitic. This is true also in my last Senate race. Uh, that just like they asked me on the debate stage, if you ever see that recorded video, I said, uh, well, what do you mean? Why, why are you criticizing me for saying the Jews control the media? The fact is, of course they do control the media. Everybody knows that. But, um, they knew that if I got to the Senate, I would be an incredible voice to the whole world about Jewish power. And because of that, they, spout, they got me out, spent 100 to 1. I'm mean, talking about millions of dollars. I, I couldn't barely pay for my mailings, which actually raised money, uh, much less get on the phone and call rich billionaires to support me like we're coming in uh, to the people against me. So when, you, when, you really, when they really feel threatened is when they really do power. And I and Putin believes he may be right, he may be wrong. So he may have good more, you know, good motives here. His motive may be that if he comes out openly and exposes the Jews and talks about the Jewish role in all this, even though he went against the Jewish, you know, Bolsheviks, definitely did that. He went against the Jewish uh, oligarchs when he got elected in 19, and he did that by fooling them. In the year 2000, he went against Berezovsky, the biggest, most powerful oligarch in Russia. He went against Kaczynski, who was head of the Jewish Congress of Russia, biggest Jewish official in Russia. He went against Khodorkovsky. They hate him. 
And but he knows that if he would have gone full four, if he started going on all of his programs, which he probably should, but he's got to do it in a Dave, very. Dave, what about nuclear war? Intelligent. We're, we're almost there. Yeah. I'm just giving a preface to it so people understand okay. what why I'm saying this. Okay, he believes. I think Putin believes, and he may be right that if he just came out just openly and said the Jews are behind this war. The, the Jewish genocide has been going on for a long time. It, our country was affected by it. Ukraine was affected by it. You know, communism, Jewish communism killed people, just like I said years ago, how that they were 85% of these communists that took over Russia, that dispossessed most of the Russian Christians and murdered millions of them. This, what's going on in Israel is no different. And these Jews are the ultimate racists. And I want to make something clear to people. When I say that uh, Nazis run Ukraine, you know, I'm not talking about the soldiers out there who've been brainwashed and who've been bribed and who've been deceived to say that Russia is the enemy. When they, when everyone knows and all of them before all this propaganda by the Jewish controlled media of Ukraine and the Jewish government of Ukraine, everybody knows, right? That, that the UK and all the EU is dedicated to to changing the population of Europe and destroying the people of Ukraine, destroying Christian values, LGBTism, and they're even promoting LGBTism in this war. You know, the truth is the Russians aren't their enemy. And I said, and so he said, he said, when I talk about this as Nazis, they are Nazis, and Israel is a Nazi state, and they and Nazis control America. You know, and, and we had problems with the Nazis in the war. We fought a war against National Socialism. But these Jews are more Nazis, just like the Jews are saying right now in many places. These Jews who actually run Israel and run global Judaism and global Jewish Zionism, they're more Nazis than the Nazis <laughs> because they are epitome of the Hollywood image of Nazis that they create. They are Nazis times a thousand. How's that? So, uh, if yeah, so- yeah, I mean, I, I take your point that, um, you know, during the uh, Tucker Carlson interview with Putin, um, Putin mentioned to him that uh, Ukraine's president was himself Jewish, yet he supported what Putin deemed Nazi elements or Nazi opponents yeah. uh, within its uh, within well, its. Well, it's obviously not Nazis that control them, but it's Jewish True. Nazis. Yeah, yes. but this term is 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 extensively used. Uh, I mean, my and again, my question really refers. Well, to, I've, I've uh, got, let me answer uh, the question. I had one yeah, more comment, and you, you had something to say, so I let you in. Uh, this is this is the summation of it all. Okay, so what I think Putin believes is that if he would come out openly about the Jews, really, it would be total war. The Jews would go absolutely ballistic. They're crazy. They're paranoid. And, uh, they would think we've got to go to war or we, you know, we got to kill. They'd kill Putin. I, I think Jews would find they, they would have some Jew die if he has to die to do it. And they, they would find some radical, crazy Jews to do it. They'd kill him. Uh, they'd do whatever they had to do to overthrow the government. They'd start a war and maybe this war would be the end of Russia. And the end of Europe and the end of European mankind, the end of life as we know it, the, the end of any sort of ideals. Every, every family will be destroyed if it goes to war. And even if there was 
a 10% chance of that or 5% or 1%. Would we really be willing to risk if there was a one? Would anybody spin the dial that for 1% risk that all of, you know, Europe would be wiped out and Russia and America and Canada, the entire Northern Hemisphere, probably much of the rest of the world? Would anybody spin the dial? And maybe Putin is being, you know, maybe there wouldn't be a war. But maybe, just maybe, he understands that these many of these Jews are totally nuts. And when you start a conflict, whether they think it's going to be just a, and even a, even a, a physical combat, I think the Jews would ultimately use atomic weapons. If they lost the ground war, they might be hopeful they could win it. Uh, win it. But if they didn't, I think they would be the ones along. But once you start doing that, that ends up, it's so easy for that to become the end of European mankind entirely and much of the rest of the world itself and Chinese and Russians and everybody else. This is what the danger was. So if that was Putin's motive, right, uh, whether than, you know, trying, you know, being part of a conspiracy of Jews, I think, you know, I definitely might not agree with Putin. Now, he think he could approach it more carefully. They already call him an anti-Semite. And they claim he's an anti-Semite. But if he did that, they would use that to depict Putin as a Nazi. They're trying to do that anyway today as Nazis. That's what they're trying to uh, deploy uh, Putin as. So, you know, maybe, just maybe, that avoiding that war is the most important thing that that he can do. And he's in the long term. But the Jews, I think, are losing out. And he knows they're losing out. So there you well, go. Thank you very much for your, um, your answer there, Duke. Um, Does that I make any sense to you? What do you think? What do you think? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that the um, uh, the international world jury has absolutely no uh, qualms about nuking as many Gentiles as they can, so long as they survive and come out on top. Uh, I think that the Russians, however, are being very careful with how they uh, posit these things. I mean, I think that it was Dmitry... Uh, Medvedev, who I don't think I don't think he's Med- the uh, Medvedev. Medvedev, that's correct. Thank you very much, Gary. Uh, he was the one that made this statement. It wasn't yeah. Putin. Well, what um, he was doing think... is he was trading barbs because they've already been yeah. saying that our, the Americans, like uh, so many in our Congress, have already been saying we got to bomb Putin and we got to overthrow Putin and we got to yes. go to war and we got to bomb uh, uh, Iran, which maybe bring a war. I don't think that the, the, it's, Iran's important to Russia, and so is it to China. I don't think I think they're going to defend uh, Iran if they go to war. And by the way, I wanted to take one minute and and give the quotation, short quotation from Germany must perish, so people understand that I'm not making anything up here. All right, this is before the war. This this was before the war. This book was written and published and advertised in the major publications of the United States, even advertised in the New York Times. So here's um, this is the example of, uh, you know, of example how hypocritical and how Nazi the Jews are in terms of what they call Nazism, because they are the real Nazis. All right. All right. And this is double standard of morality that's got to just stop you in your tracks. Here it is. I learned about when I was still in college of a book called Germany Must Perish. Now, this was written 
by an American Jew, Theodore Kaufman, published in 1941, before America's involvement in the, in, in the war and before the allegations of any German, you know, uh, whatever you want to say, extermination program against Jews. That's a fact, okay? Here's, here's the subtitle of the book underneath of that, you know, on the cover of the book. This dynamic volume outlines a comprehensive plan for the extinction of the Jewish nation and a total eradication from the earth of all her people. Also contained herein is a map illustrating the possible territorial dissection of Germany and the apportionment of her lands. This, folks, Listen to me, folks, that, that if you still got part of your brain left, this was before the war, any allocation of a Holocaust against Jews. Now you know where they got the idea. Or now you know where, why they came up with the idea the Germans were doing it, right? But think about this fact. And he's, they're calling for it. Now this was a book, major publisher, major publisher in America advertised in Time magazine, in the New York Times. I think he self-published it, right? He self-published it. No, I actually had a, a publisher, but he he was he felt finance it right. But anyway, the point is, they both both Time Magazine and the New York Times both reviewed the book rather than simply dismissing it or even condemning it. Right. So it's just it's just amazing, and they they right. weren't outraged at this open call for genocide. You know, in fact, he they, was calling it, for sterilization. Yeah, well, yeah, That's sterile, right. right? Yeah. It yeah. Well, I know, but I quoted extermination. It's the same thing. Yeah. Right, right. But I mean, he was actually, he literally yeah. mapped out how to yep, exactly. sterilize the Germans. It wasn't just like, let's exterminate the Germans. It was like, okay, I researched it. This is how we can sterilize them. No. The sick, the sick Jew. That went, he What's was also someone that wanted Americans to sterilize themselves in order to enter some. Now, there was never such yeah. any such book like that ever published, certainly not promoted. There was no leader that ever got up in Germany and made anything remotely like this. There was no leader in Germany that said anything about Jews or any other people as remotely evil of what all the Jewish leaders in in uh, in Israel have done. Dave, we're going to get to the next call. I know. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'll just point. say well, that there is well, Ilya Ehrenberg who also wrote "Kill the German," which I really appreciate oh, yes. you talking about that. Uh, yeah, he was a, he was a nice Jew. Sure we'll get you in later. Well, I realize it's my time is you know, up. One of these so major American, Thanks, American okay. newspapers supposed to be all against Nazism and all yeah. against these terrible. Yeah. One of these American newspapers said, this book is a great book. This is a book yeah. of ideas. Time yeah. has come. Yeah. Fascinating. Go out and buy it. We got Nick. We got the uh, militia guy from Texas who wants to. Nick, what is it you want to do again? I want to. Oh, <laughs> you want to talk about the real Nazis? I want to talk about state militias. Now, um, everybody knows that the militia guy is a pro-state militia. I just wanted to ask Dr. Duke, well, two questions. A quick one, which may not turn into a quick answer, but uh, had you seen the uh, your thoughts on the movie? I just saw it yesterday, Oppenheimer. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I've seen excerpts from it. But okay, pretty, pretty shocking. So tell well, me about the yeah, parts of anything that were important. Anything that comes from Jollywood, I you know, I take with a grain of salt. Um, so anyway, the main, the main 
uh, reason I was asking Dave to put me on was. I just made uh, up that term, Jewy Wood. I like that. Jewy Wood. Not Hollywood. Jewy Wood. <laughs> well, Jollywood gets gets me by the uh, Jew book censors on, you know, fake book. But well, that's true. <laughs> anyway. Um, Grace O'Malley, 16th century Irish pirate queen. Is that name familiar to you at all? I don't know. I think maybe I've heard that somewhere deep in the recesses of my mind. But I've been concentrating okay. more on Jews for well, the last 20, 30 years. <laughs> right. Well, I'll just give you a quick uh, context here. Grace O'Malley was 16th century Irish pirate queen, leader mm-hmm. of the O'Malley clan, born around 1530 in County Mayo, command of ships along Ireland's west coast, resisted English control during the Tudor conquests. In 1593, she met with Queen Elizabeth I to address her grievances. Okay, that was a post on Jew Book. Uh, What came up was uh, this, um, that uh, uh, Marcus Morris said a different story uh, talking about uh, beginning and ending of slavery and Spain's involvement. Uh, it talked about bankers. Keep talking. I'm going to get a quick water for a second, but keep talking. Sure, sure. Bankers. Uh, he just said very possible if you do a search on the DuckDuckGo or whoever. If you do a search, uh, end up with interesting reports that banksters are old Caribbean pirate families and that that's where they came from today. You know, today's banksters are I'm here. basically from old pirate families. Now you're down in Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, thought, I thought maybe, you know, Jean Lafitte and yeah, all Jean that Lafitte. Kind of stuff. He helped to win the Battle of New Orleans. So, any thoughts on that as well, to whether it's accurate or? I don't know whether that's accurate. There's a lot of mythology that goes in in early events. And sometimes when we talk about heroes and, and brigands, that uh, sometimes things get lost in the romance uh, that the yes. writers are writing. Same thing is true of a lot of our Western gunslinger heroes and Wyatt Earp and, right. you know, and all that other stuff. Um, so I don't know. But I, I do know one thing, that the West and the principle of both American culture and European culture has always been until this, you know, this last century, until the, until the, what Seskin, the Jew, calls the Jewish century, until the 20th century and 21st century, it has always been primarily valuing morality and decency and fairness and honesty, all those kind of, and they've always reputed the liar, the deceiver, the criminal, the rapist, the, uh, the evil person. Uh, when I was, a, a, and this has been going on for the entire history of our people, the foundations of our culture, probably as most people know who've been educated, uh, were actually the Greeks. And then the Romans took from the Greeks, and and then we took from the Greeks and the Romans, and, and we incorporated these principles into the idea that people should be able to control our government, that we needed principles like speech where people debated issues, whether it be in the Senate of the Romans or, or, or the are the temples of uh, of Greece, and um, 
And I, I just remember, for instance, the first novel that was ever written. I still remember this novel I read as a young man. And it was called, it was the first real novel. And it was a Greek novel called Daphnis and Chloe. And it was, uh, and this just shows you the morality about the story. And it was about a guy who actually had, you know, sirenship by the, from the gods, I think. And this beautiful woman, Daphnis. And he was a very handsome young man. She was a beautiful young woman. And, of course, the theme of the book was the fact that they should be in love and have marriage, family, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's a love story, beautiful love story. Well, in the story, this is one of the earliest Greek stories. And this was a, a magnificent novel. And in the story, there was this vile homosexual Jew uh, who was uncomely, ugly, nasty, obese and just corrupt, right? And he wanted to seduce and effectively rape the young, you know, um, Daphnis, the, the young the young man. And he was, the, the story made him out to be a real villain, a real evil, nasty creature, right? And whereas they often tell us that the Greeks were actually, you know, pro-homosexual, which they really weren't. Almost all the Greek plays if they talk about homosexuals, all they make scathing uh, fun of them and uh, they're disgusted by them. Greeks were uh, were manly men; they weren't homosexual men. And um, but anyway, so that story, though, the same kind of ethics are in all of the science. Even even when people were in in a way, when you when you talk about the, the Odyssey and the Iliad, you know, and you, and you talk about uh, these the works of people like Homer and many others, and you you talk about Odysseus, um, right? Odysseus. Uh, excuse me, I can't talk tonight. But um, when you talk about this man, he was like a freebooter and an adventurer, kind of like a Conan the Barbarian, you know. But he also had an incredible sense of justice. He had an incredible sense of honor. He had an incredible sense of courage, and uh, and he had an incredible sense of uh, honesty. He also knew he knew a little bit about diplomacy too, and and he he definitely tried to be diplomatic in what he was doing, and in fact uh, it's very interesting in in the writings of uh, a lot of the Greeks they write about, um, and again we're going into historical things, literary things, you know, which most people are not going to follow very well, but uh, people seen movies like Troy, and uh, the one of the main people in that movie. Uh, was played by the star, you know, whatever. And he, uh, he had this, uh, hubris and he always got in fights and, and got angry and killed people. They kind of admired him for that in a way that, cause he was strong and courageous. And, uh, but they, but also they looked at him and they said, you know, you didn't have to kill the guy. Uh, I mean, he, the guy wanted to fight, but you didn't have to do it. You could have been a little bit more diplomatic, you know. And uh, but you see this the strain of of this uh, morality and this idea of human rights, and this has evolved over the centuries. And because when people start thinking about these things, they understand that. So I'm out of time, but uh, yeah, you're right. And uh, I don't, you know, I can't tell you about those particular figures. I do think John Lafitte, he was. A, a freeloader, but he, not a freeloader. He was a, a privateer, but he was attacking British ships, not American ships. And uh, that's who he was doing. And he, 
he brought his saved Orleans and saved us in the in the uh, in the War of eighteen twelve. All right, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Nick. We'll get you back in, buddy. Okay. Okay, let's bring in Vinny from Indiana. Go ahead, buddy. You got the floor. Hello, Dave and David. Hey, um, I, Vinny. I hey, am, Vinny. I got to say something to you. One thing first. In 1814, we took a little trip down the Mississippi. It's the mighty. <laughs> you know, anyway, to, to, and anyway, they, they fought the bloody, bloody British at the New Orleans. <laughs> I grew up singing that song, being a New Orleanian, and uh, and that brings me a lot of thought. So, go ahead. I wanted to bring up, um, I wanted to mention one thing real quick about uh, a, a, a book about on Solzhenitsyn that's coming out. And uh, then I wanted to mention uh, about Douglas McGregor and his review of the uh, the uh, Tucker Carlson Putin uh, uh, interview. Um, the book that comes, there's a young man by name of Spencer J. Quinn, and he was interviewed on Tim Kelly's podcast. Tim Kelly, uh, you know, he's kind of a, a Catholic conservative. He does uh, a podcast called Our Interesting Times, and he yeah. interviewed this young man, and uh, he wrote a, it's a, it's kind of an, a, it's, it's intended as an introduction to young people who are not familiar with Solzhenitsyn, and um, it's only 200 pages long. I'm sure all the material is second nature to you, but he did mention your name in the interview, and he says that, you know, most people on the right, so he said, you know, aren't familiar with Solzhenitsyn, with the exception of David Duke. So I thought maybe you you might find that interesting. You might you might want to invite him on your show. He was a really intelligent young guy. I, yeah, I worked with him. You know, I was on, I, I knew him for a, a, during a five year period on and off. And uh, I mean, I took many walks with him in Gorky Park. He and I uh, having dinner and a beer, and uh, <laughs> and he uh, he actually took me to the Kremlin. Kremlin. And showed me the files on Lenin's Jewish heritage. She showed me the actual files where his family was saying that Lenin always identified himself as a Jew. So I knew the man, and I respected the man. And um, and he actually did interviews with me and everything else, which I've quoted and which are now used and now accepted. So um, that's the reality on Solzhenitsyn. Yes, I knew him. I, I got books dedicated to Solzhenitsyn, as you know. Yeah, I think this young person would be really, you know, I mean, he wants to promote his book, but I mean, he'd, he'd probably be an interesting guest to have on. And, you know, like you said, most people his age, they've never, they don't know about Solzhenitsyn. They don't really understand his book, uh, 200 Years Together or anything like that. So, and he was, you know, he was, you know, he was, like you said, the, the only, one of the very few people on the right who really knew Solzhenitsyn was you. So he might be really interested in talking to you. Yeah, um, uh, there's probably very few people on the right that even met him. Uh, of course, I'm older than most on the right. So, well, thanks, Finney. We'll get you back in, buddy. Uh, oh, then I just wanted to say the Douglas McGregor interview. Uh, he did an inter- He did a. Re- um, he did a podcast with uh, Stephen Gardner, and he went over the Tucker Carlson Putin um, um, interview, and uh, he mentioned the fact that his one disappointment he said about Putin was that you know he wishes at some point Putin can get over this word Nazi. In World War Two, and, and you know, he said that that you know, there's a real poverty of talking about World War Two and who was culpable for World War Two. And I think it was really interesting that McGregor was kind of like McGregor admits that he reads the unre- the Uns Review, 
and the injury view has been putting all these articles about, you know, the origins of world war two. And they just did like a 7,000 word article called Hitler, the peacemaker that Hitler did not want to, uh, did not want war in world war two. That was not his goal. He was not conquest was not his goal. And that, uh, you know, McGregor came really, really close to outright endorsing the Suvorov thesis that World War II was engineered by the Russians, Stalin, and uh, you know the new the new Bolsheviks who you know they gave up on Bolshevism seceding through you know street revolution and political party. They wanted to harness the military might of the Soviet Empire to conquer um, Europe from the east. So I mean it was I it was. Here's the point, though, that we have to keep remembering. And this is what I'm stressing every program. By the way, I'm on the air tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., folks, Central Time. You can find me on the Rinse Radio Network. And I talk about these things all the time. And uh, But when we talk about Russia doing anything, it wasn't Russia. It was the Soviet Union because it was a country that was taken over by Jews who hated Russia so much, even the word Russia or Russian, they hated it so much they changed the name of the whole country, which is pretty pretty odd, right, from Russia to the Soviet Union. And they killed tens of millions of Russians. And the idea that Russia would do, it's not about Russia, it's about Jews. Now, there could have been a plot by Russia. I'm not saying there, there wasn't. There could have been a plot that they thought they could take over the world by, you know, by war. Uh, and if they could get into a war with Germany and defeat Germany, that that the Jews, right, if they defeat Germany, that Russia would be very strong. They had to, we had to be strong. That They had to get Russia away from the, the non-aggression pact they had with Germany, which was liable because once, Joe, once Russia or anybody else saw the turn of the war, the Jews were certainly not going to stay on the side of Nazi, Nazis. But temporarily, right, the Russians were having certainly second thoughts about Jews because Stalin himself wasn't a Jew. And I think the facts are really clear that he wasn't and that he realized in the war that the only way they could win the war. Now, the reason why Putin, and this was your original question, uh, is so driven to it, like all patriotic Russians, because for Russians... They consider the Second World War the Patriotic War. Uh, 25 million died. Uh, and it was obvious that, you know, maybe the Russians would attack the Germans first. And there's a lot of evidence for that, too. There's different theories. But, you know, they were certainly invaded by the Germans. Uh, they view this as, and Russians actually view the Second World War as the beginning. And this is crazy, but they do. They, they view it as a dislodging of the Bolsheviks. And in a way, that became true because Stalin realized that they were not going to win the war on these international egalitarian communist ideals, that they were not going to win the war if the Jews were leading the war effort in terms of the real hard work and courage and, and the military, which was they went back to the old Russians, who even some of them were white Russians, that they said, now we're fighting an invasion, you know, we're going to fight for Mother Russia. Now, think about that, Mother Russia. That's the same Mother Russia that uh, that Kazal Ivanovich went in front of when they were when they were taking down the most famous cathedral of Russia, and he said, "There's Mother Russia stripped of her skirts." Excuse me. So, 
um, we got to understand, you've got to understand these historical elements that, no, the war didn't start because of that. The war started because Jews were committed to doing anything to stop National Socialism in Germany because the Germans were the first major country in the world, one of the leading countries in the world, in fact, scientific, artistic, cultural, that adopted the idea of both preserving our heritage fairly and, you know, and the fact that Jews were a great threat to our civilization, our culture, and our very existence. Now, I'm going to give you a little quote from Solzhenitsyn, which he spoke before me and a few other of my friends. And uh, so this is exactly what he said. Uh, and let me read this to you. And this is in my book, The Secret Behind Communism. I hope you've read that. Quote, you must understand the leading Bolsheviks who took over Russia were not Russians. They hated Russians. They hated Christians. Driven by ethnic hatred, they tortured and slaughtered millions of Russians without a shred of human remorse. It cannot be overstated. Bolshevism committed the greatest human slaughter of all time. The fact that most of the world is ignorant and uncaring about this enormous crime is proof that the global media is in the hands of the perpetrators. That says it all, doesn't it? Uh, Solzhenitsyn knew this, and by the way, Solzhenitsyn's book, The Gulag Archipelago, is in every school in Russia, every grade school, every junior high school, not really junior, they have high schools, every college, it's available, it's part of the things they study, and in those books, you can look and you can see in Gulag Archipelago the pictures and the names, and the obviously Jewish names, of the six administrators of the greatest Soviet death camps and the de greatest death camps in the history of humanity that killed 15, 20 million people, the gulags of Russia. And they were all Jews, every one of the top administrators. Dave, we got to get to the next call. As was the administrator. That's fine. As was okay. the administrator of the of the Holodomor. And all these slaughters were much bigger than the Holocaust. But you don't hear about them. And whenever they mention the Holocaust or mass murder of people, they never, ever talk about the Jewish Holocaust. And what they're talking about, the new Holocaust. Why don't they compare the Holocaust of the Palestinian men, women, and children, mostly women and children, why don't they compare that to other Jewish slaughters of all time, like the slaughters of the women and children that took place in Ukraine where 7 to 11 million Ukrainians were murdered by Jews. Instead, they try to compare it to what Jews say the Nazis did. Right. There you go. All right. Thanks, Dave. How's Thanks, Vinny. We'll get you back in, buddy. Right. Bye. Okay, buddy. That's right. one of the most succinct comments I think I ever made. I liked it. Yes. Yes. Our, our time is now. Your ears must have been ringing, Johnny, from Wilmington, because I was thinking about you today. And uh, were they ringing? Oh, uh, well, I've been thinking about you, too. How you doing, right, Dave? Well, you how go. you doing, Dr. Duke? Very fine. So how are you? That's on the show tonight. How you all you know, I'm, I, I like to be on fire with you on Sunday nights, and that's the time I get really emotional but try to stay cogent and i i hope i do that because i want to fire you all up and i hope hey, i'm doing that hey hey thank you for your commentary man i'll tell you what i love it it's, it's 
you're like nonstop, you know, one after another, just keep rolling off the tip of your tongue. It's beautiful. It's, really a, it's very, very passionate. And I think that's, you know, uh, that's what we need. Two things we need. Uh, Dostoevsky said this. I love Dostoevsky's works. We need beauty because beauty is what inspires us. And we, we have the image of a world that's beautiful. We have the image of our beautiful spouses and our children, our, our children of, uh, of our people. We have a vision of great morality, great creations, magnificent scientific work, emotional work, creative work, artistic work. We have beauty that inspires us. And we have these, these incredible destroyers that are standing between us and perhaps even our survival. And they're degrading everything that's beautiful. So I am motivated not simply by the struggle of defeating our enemies that want to destroy us, but I'm motivated by the passion in my heart uh, for our beautiful people for and all the beauty that exists in humanity and every human being that expresses themselves in a magnificent way. And there are people of every race that do that occasionally. There are people that of every people that have great certain artistic talents that even many people who are scientists, I definitely respect my own people and want to preserve them. But I also believe that we are standing between, and, and Adolf Hitler himself said this, by the way, so he didn't write, you know, everything that's bad for sure. He said, we are standing Right now, as opposing the Jewish global might, we, whether or not we defeat them, is going to ultimately mean whether or not this planet is free and bright and looking toward the future, or whether this planet revolves devoid of men, of mankind. He wrote that. And I believe that's exactly what we're doing. And that may, it may all end because these crazy Jews might just create an atomic war. Uh, and that's the truth. Uh, excuse me. Let me, I just wanted to interject. That's fine. Um, and God bless you, Dr. Duke. Um, this past week, um, February 13th, 14th and 15th, mm-hmm. 79 years ago, what happened? The the firebombing of Dresden. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. And and other cities. Yeah, somebody was writing to me the other day about Slaughterhouse-Five, the novel. Oh, yes. The the very poignant words he wrote about that uh, terrible Holocaust, the true Holocaust. Burn offerings. That was the true Holocaust. Yes, and that doesn't get brought up enough, neither. Of course not. And what we did, our country and England, what an atrocity! Well, we started. We started, and this is all acknowledged by major historians. We started the firebombing of civilian populations, and like I said, uh, we were that was against the Geneva Convention too. But we were moving toward. It's hard to say this, but a more civilized way of waging war. It's one thing for uh, soldiers and people that are trained and and know that soldiers have to pay a price sometimes in these wars. And we were trying to make war more humane, saying that 
it's out of bounds to go and kill civilians or rape women or to do these things. We're moving toward all that until basically the Jews took over the world in, in the 19th and 20th centuries. That's really what changed all of that. Now, when you're fighting the Nazis and you're a Jew, remember, Jews are the real Nazis. There are no rules of war anymore, right? There is no effort to lessen civilian deaths, just like what all the leaders of Israel are saying. What Israel is saying is nothing new. What the Israeli leaders are saying is nothing new. They've been doing these kind of holocausts for 3,000 years. And until people begin to understand that. Now, I'm not saying all Jews are guilty, but I'm telling you Judaism is just as guilty as what's called Zionism. It's just as guilty of what Jews called communism. It's just as guilty. And all of these three things we're talking about, Judaism, Zionism, communism, they all have been murderous and deadly to a massive degree. There's no three things that have ever been more deadly and destructive of humanity than what? Let's just start with it. All right. Communism, 100 million dead. All right. Judaism. My God. You think I look at all those uh, things. I'm sorry, I'm just going to... That's that's the great Patrick Slattery. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, all right. Uh, again, I guess he. Right, I'm going to take care of him right now. Well, that's that's okay. So uh, don't, don't take it. care. No, it's not okay. <laughs> Holy, you know, Dave, do me a favor. Answer that that's phone. That's not him. Answer it. Okay, that's got to be him. That's not and, him. And, that's another associate of mine who you know. But not, not. Uh, Holy yeah. shit! What's just tell me the name of the person? I'm going to contact him right now. <laughs> it's, it's it's. This is our second year of shows, and these morons don't know not to call now. Well, don't sometimes they. everybody is not concerned about our show first thing in their mind, and sometimes things come up with people and they forget. So be have a little Christian charity, my friend. Hey, I just <laughs> I just want to interject again. Um, yeah. I was watching a Brian Rue video, and. I don't know what town he was in in Canada. I want to say Vancouver, but I, I could be wrong about that. And he went to the streets with a lady friend of his to bring up. This was a few years ago, a few years back. I think it was 2019. To bring up attention and awareness of Dresden. And uh, he came across this individual that had no remorse for Dresden, the firebombing of Dresden. The close to 500,000 people killed by some estimates because the Germans killed 6 million Jews in the Holocaust. Therefore, they were justified. I was like, oh my God, man. People are so brainwashed. They, they, there, was no, there was no gas chamber. They didn't kill 6 million Jews. There wasn't even 6 million Jews in the German-occupied area. I don't know. People get Dave's book. But they never they never do talk about the real crimes against free people. It's always the Russians uh, that are bad they're bad guys. I mean, my God, this, this no, people don't know anything about history. Right? No. There's Johnny, thanks, buddy. It's been a hundred get you back in, buddy. By answering this way too for real quickly. Okay. Oh, go ahead. This, oh real quickly. All right. There's been hundred and twenty three wars of Jewish 
war against Russia. I mean, you could start with the Jewish war against the Russian people and the Tsar of communism, the Jewish communist takeover of Russia, the murder of the Tsar and his family, the Jewish murder of tons of tens of millions of Russians and other white Christian Christians across Russia, Ukraine, and then half of Europe in World War II. Uh, a new Russian revelation of the, the deposing of the Jewish oligarchs of the communist state. And then after, after that, that's, that's, that's the struggle that the Jews want to get. Then they got mad at Russia again. They took over the Jewish subversion of Russia and the Jewish oligarch capitalist globalist takeover of Russia and the starvation of the Russian people and harm against them in the 1990s. The, the uh, retaking of Russia finally by Putin and Russian nationalists and Christians against the Jewish oligarchs starting in 2000, and then the global Jewish war in Russia and, uh, and, and the Russian people of Ukraine and all the people of Ukraine, actually, and all the people of Europe by the Jewish-led Ukraine war two years ago. There you go. And all that Thanks, started, Dave. by the way, the whole Ukraine war started. Thanks, in, uh, Johnny. We'll get you back in, buddy. Are we, Dave, are we, do, are we doing this? Dave, are we doing the after show? No, I don't think we will tonight. Maybe five minutes. I don't care. Okay, I'll probably minutes. be 20 minutes then. Okay, yeah, five right. minutes. You know, that's 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 a Dr. Duke five minutes. Only if you stay. That's I'm like a football. That's like a football. If you stay, stay, if you stay. I have to stay. I'm always well, here, well, if you, but I might no, be you're eating. You're always here, but when you do I, stay. I have to eat. I know you have to eat. That's okay. why I got a little time limit by you staying. Uh, all right, I'll stay all right. as long as you stay. Uh, thanks, buddy. All right. Johnny. Hope to hear from you Not soon, quite. man. I can't All right, buddy. All right, I'll see you. Right. Bye. Okay, we got our friend CB, and he is calling from his synagogue, I think. There's services tonight, special services. They have, what, little children there? Are they, like, biting them or doing something else to them, CB? Well, shalom, Dave Gahari, and shalom, Dr. Duke. I, I had to leave early. You know, the synagogue, the rabbi was uh, was just about to bring the children out, but I, I told him I had to uh, go talk to some uh, evil anti-Semitic white supremacists, so I had to go. Oh, I had, had to take off from the synagogue of Satan. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I just wanted to get uh, your take on Dr. Duke if you had seen um, – I, I don't know where I'm looking for it to try to email it to, to Gahari. Um, I, f I saw earlier something about with Tucker Carlson where he was at some kind of forum. I don't know if it was that idiot Tim Pool or somebody like that where he was talking about um, that he it – was, it was a soundbite. It was a very, very small clip. I didn't get the context of it. But he was supposedly saying how he feels that we need to go and invade Israel and take their nuclear weapons away and that Netanyahu is the greatest threat to world peace. So I was just wondering if you had gotten to see that and what you thought about it. I didn't see that, but uh – you know, I do one thing, think that the greatest threat to peace is Israel's nuclear weaponry. And I think that the American government must put a high priority of locating where every one of their submarines are, which is insanity that they have these things. They're in violation of all the nuclear agreements in the world. But instead of being treated like a rogue state, again, that's more proof of who rules the world. Only Jews can get away with this. And a lot of other people have been saying, well, how come Israel gets away with everything? Well, it's because Jews control the media, are dominated, and they dominate, you know, the politics of the Western world. And that's, that's the fact. They dominate the banking in the Western world. And, uh, and one thing, if you'd like to hear it, I've got 
another good example how Jews are really the ultimate uh, Nazis right now of the world. And I got a little thing I can uh, share with you for a moment if you'd like me to do that uh, sure. that I could prove. Okay. All right. I'm going to give an example of the biggest Jewish newspaper in the United States of America. That's called the Jewish Week. It is actually probably maybe the biggest Jewish newspaper in the world. It may not be as big as it was a few years ago before the Internet rise, but it was one of the biggest. They had a, a uh, what's called a halakha lesson every week in their paper by their, one of their leading communists, by a guy named Yitzhak uh, Ginsburg, right, who's all right now, he's, by the way, he's in Israel, he's a radical, radical Jew. Now, this is the biggest newspaper in America. He write, he, this is what he wrote in the paper. I've talked about this before. It's worth talking about again. And he discusses the fact that Jews are like, they're just gods, really. And uh, gods are, every Jew's part of a god. Uh, he's a god, right? And he's special about a Jew. And it's okay. And you're not going to believe this, but it's okay that if a Jew needs a liver, that uh, he asked whether a Jew can take the liver of an innocent non-Jew passing by to save him. What is the answer? Okay, let me give you the two paragraphs where he discusses this. This is in the biggest Jewish newspaper, got no criticism. It, there was no coverage of this in the paper. Imagine the biggest Christian paper in the middle said this about Jews. But listen, as for the Goyim, Zalman's attitude was, that's the founder of Hasidicism, uh, was Gentile souls are of a completely different and inferior order. They are totally evil with no redeeming qualities for whatsoever. So Gentiles, all Gentiles, you, me, your parents, your children, your friends, your lover, whatever, you're all inferior, right? If every cell in a Jewish body entails divinity as a part of God, then every strand of um, every strand of a Jew is part of God. Therefore, something is special about Jewish DNA. And then he goes on to say, if a Jew needs a liver, can you take the liver of an innocent non-Jew passing by to save him? Question mark. The Torah, he says, probably would permit that. That's their interpretation. Uh, would permit that. Jewish life has an infinite value, he explained. There is something infinitely more holy and unique about Jewish life than non-Jewish life. Now, that's from the Jewish Week the largest Jewish publication in the United States, one of the biggest in the world, and that's what its leading columnist wrote. I mean, could you imagine that in any Christian publication about Jews or any other publication that would say such a thing? And that's why many Jews are saying that the Jews of Israel, in fact, the Jews all over the world that support Israel and support the same ideology, these people are... Uh, a thousand times worse than Nazis. And Nazis would never say such a thing like that, ever, and promote that kind of thing, nor any of the other terrible things that are going on from Israel. Jews are Nazis, but they're the Hollywood 
most evil version of Nazis Jews can come up with. And that's exactly what they are. You know what it's called in psychology, my friends? It's called projection. It's ex- because that represents Jewish Nazism is exactly what the Jews who run Israel and who are the leading Jews of the world, who are supporting the genocide of the Palestinian people. It's exactly what they believe in in every way. There you go. Oh, I Thanks, couldn't agree Steve. more. Thanks, buddy. We'll get you back in and we'll see you in the after show. Sounds good. All right. Okay, buddy. Okay. We've got Catherine. I think this is Catherine from Virginia. Catherine, am I right? Hello, Catherine. Catherine. This happens a lot when Catherine calls, if it is the same Catherine. Okay. Hi, let me get closer to my phone. Give me a a second. Hi, can you hear me? No. You just said no. Does does that mean? No, we can hear you. Okay. By the way, and oh, and sorry, let me turn off my computer, the sound on my computer. Okay. I could listen to Duke talk forever. I'm serious. I'm serious. I get so mad, Dave Gahari, when you cut him off. Oh, yeah. I know. Me too. I Thank know. I just want to, I want to sit here. I want to sit here for two hours while all the people are waiting to ask him a question so he could talk for two hours. Hey, 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 hey I'm Dave, telling you, I Dave, 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 wait, wait. Just grin and bear it, Dave. It's okay. All right. I'll do that next time. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to say, "Welcome to the Dave and Duke Call-in Show." This is Dave Gahari. Let's get right to the let's no, get right to the calls. No, I want you to say yeah. lots of things. I like to get into discussion with you. No, I'm not. Nope. You're Catherine not said that I'm not going to do it. That's it. What? Now, oh, Dave look, Gahari. don't have a don't have a tissy fit. Come on, Dave. Just <laughs> Dave I think Gahari. that's a hissy Dave fit. Gahari. Yeah, you're tissy the, fit. You're hissy the oldest fit, kid in your kitty family, fit, right? whatever it is. Yes. Yeah, so that's that like control freak thing you have going on. <laughs> anyway, yes, the oldest so, of five. Uh huh. One, so one of the last real kids. American families. <laughs> five people, siblings. You had a lot, right. keep a lot of kids in. And there. I was Hitler in that family. <laughs> okay, I well, I, I was more Hitler than Hitler was. In my grandmother's family, the the oldest kid was a boy. And then it was my grandmother and then two other girls or two other girls. And it was my grandmother was the boss of them. (laughs) Like the oldest. Sometimes it happens when the oldest kid is a boy that the oldest kid gets skipped in the hierarchy. And the, the, you know, the girl becomes the, the more bossy, Lucy, bossy kid. Anyway, so just a bunch of comments and then. Um, a bunch of questions and oh, it's hurt. and you and you know we only got three minutes left or oh, sorry two yeah, minutes so Why but go you, ahead you do, 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 do your best one Catherine all right yeah. so, no well I don't know what's best so I'll just give a couple of comments and then a question um, well the Jolly Roger the pirate flag that's also skull and bones um, and did Casaria build anything that's an, one question and another question were the jews involved in the genocide of the boer women and children yes and Jans, yes and Jans, and tell, tell, tell us more about that and Jans well, the jews must- were involved in the whole boer war because they wanted to take over from the boers who were not jews they were dutch 
and take over from them. They want to take over all the diamond mines, which it did ultimately with the Oppenheimers. That's all clear. And the Boer War and even even a lot of conservative politicians in Britain were talking about that this was a terrible war. Britain shouldn't have been in this war. And it was it was a war by these Jews who were trying to take over the diamonds, which they did. And that's one reason why they supported the ANC, because they knew a corrupt black government, which they would control because they totally ran and controlled the African, you know, uh, national Group and they they and they knew that they could control these blacks because they were corrupt, and they could control them and bribe them. So they wouldn't even have when they got control of the mines, they wouldn't even have to pay the black workers anymore, the ones black or whites anything decent anymore either, because they had a government that was totally corrupt under the Jews. This is how this is how they work. This is how they work. So, what's your last? You you said Uh, something else. Another observation on Jewish hypocrisy is that they openly admit to that the Jewish way is kill women, children, animals. Uh, but but yet that's the biggest, even though it's not true, the biggest uh, evil in the in the entire history of the world is the Holocaust, which never happened. Well, OK, there's the music. All right, whatever, Catherine, whatever thank you, happened, dear. And it's illegal to say it didn't happen. But whatever happened, we know there are much bigger holocausts, which the three other biggest holocausts were all by Jews. Right. Thanks, Dave. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week, and we'll see you in the after show. And tune into Dave's shows this week on the. Don't forget to tune in next Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, for the Dave and Duke Call-In Show, where David Gahari and the incomparable Dr. David Duke will take your phone calls and discuss whatever questions you want to bring to the table. See you next Sunday.